I am Rocco. No, no you're not. Stop it. Living. I'm Rocco. <laughs> the head bob makes it complete. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rocco. Really, dude? I don't have a head bob, do I? Yes, you do. Wow. No, you don't. You don't really. Hey. Ban. Ban. Ban them all. <laughs> all right. Is everybody ready? Let's do this. As ready mm-hmm. as. Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 44. I'm Rocco. And I'm Ryan. And this is Destination Linux. This week, we're going to be covering Ubuntu Budgie. We're going to be covering Canonical, doing some crazy things on the GNOME advisory board. A little Kubuntu news and some gaming news. So stick around. So we have a lot of people on the screen here for some reason. The show is expanding. It's growing. So what's you know, going on, Ryan? We're adding in a producer. We're that fancy. We've, we've wow. basically grown to the point where we now have a producer. And that producer is Zeb. How much are we paying so, him? Oh, my God. It's a fortune. Nice. Billions. Billions. We can't afford in, it. Uh, in, in IOUs. No matter what it is, we can't afford it. Many of you know Zeb from the community. He's an amazing individual and he's offered to help with the show. And really what this is, is it's going to be a huge benefit to the patrons because uh, before the patrons, one of the, the key changes was or benefits is they could get the show early on Sundays. But Zeb's going to help basically manage through the chat room and other things so that the patrons can actually watch the show live, which I feel so sorry for them so they can see all the behind the scenes <laughs> madness that the show truly is, which of course all of our guests know, but most people don't get to see. So the patrons will get kind of that behind the scenes view. They'll get to obviously hear and see the episode live, the before we start recording, the after, which, you know, there's some good stuff in there. Lots of Rocco making fun of me. There's a little bit of that, but you get your <laughs> takes <lot>. in. <laughs> yeah. It goes two ways. So we're very happy to have Zeb here and help. So how that's going to work, if you're a patron, uh, you can message Zeb and he will get you a Zoom link. You'll then come into the chat with your video uh, disabled so you don't show up within the show. But then you can chat and ask questions through Zeb and then he can come into the show and will every once in a while jump in and ask questions or add to the show. So it's definitely becoming a lot more of a, a group effort. Thus, we have more people. And then there's this other guy at the bottom and I don't know who he is, Rocco. I've never seen him before. But before we go into Dustin, Zeb, I just want to say thank you for helping us out. Very much. You're more than welcome, guys. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me. All right. We're going to make Zeb magically disappear, and he'll be back later. All right, Dustin. Howdy-ho. What's going on, man? Now, I know that we've had you on the show in the past, and... Everybody probably knows you. Everybody in the community knows you. But for those of them that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, basically, I'm just working with or part of the Ubuntu budgie team. And that's really all I'm doing within the community. I tried to get a little more involved upstream in some of the Ubuntu regular community stuff as well. But uh, busy summer hasn't allowed too much of that. But we'll get back into that. You know, now that things are calming down, thank goodness it's fall. So oddly enough, you'd think summer would be the mellow time, but it doesn't seem to be that way. 
um, outside of that, kind of a sysadmin sort of man. And uh, sometimes I'm around here. And sometimes we find you playing CSGO. That's right. happens on occasion. <laughs> now, I, I want you to tell people the truth, Dustin. When we played CSGO, we pretty much dominated, didn't we? Yeah, that's uh, really the don't, case. Don't lie, really. Don't we, lie, Dustin. We, we destroyed <laughs> hey, those bots. But it, it's not hard to dominate when it's against bots and you can adjust the level hey. accordingly. Yeah, those bots, <laughs> we, we set them to super kill or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, Dustin, you're... You're a favored guest, I think. You're definitely one of the first guests, I think, with the episodes that I've done. You do a lot within the community. And one of the reasons why you weren't doing so well in CSGO is because I kept asking you developer (laughs) questions throughout the whole thing. You're extremely knowledgeable with it. And I actually uh, learned a lot bothering you uh, while we were playing CSGO. So we're going to have you actually do some of the news with us, which I thought would be fantastic and add some of that brilliance into our show for the first time ever. Well, at least now we know why the bots were adjusted where they were. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the big news is obviously uh, 1710 is out. So tell us about Ubuntu Budgie 1710. Sure. I mean, like all the flavors, we just had a release here in uh, October. It was a busy one. A lot of them had a lot of great stuff. But uh, I guess for us, uh, one of the bigger things was bringing the GNOME stack up to 3.26, which is kind of neat that it's fairly current going into the release. So that's always good. Uh, there was a bunch of um, fixes. We had uh, some header bar issues with the welcome app. So now we can actually move our welcome screen. So that's happened. <laughs> We've uh, got a bunch of additional translations. We've had our... Um, in general, we've had a better community involvement this time around, which was a very nice surprise. Like our wallpaper uh, was huge. We had over 200 and I think it was like 270 submissions for wallpapers, which is absolutely insane. And way more people getting involved in translations. So we had a much better turnout this time. Uh, we also, anything to do with GNOME Tracker dependencies, because in our testing, we found that GNOME Tracker was sort of hogging everything out. So anything like GPhotos was swapped out for things like GThumb. And we just sort of focused on those apps and, you know, ditched them. They're gone. Uh, we have now added third-party applets into the welcome screen. So there's some additional budgie applets that are available, which is uh, always good for customization. Uh, the big one, or at least the biggest thing, I think, for 17.10 is the fact that uh, Budgie Desktop version 10.4 is in there by default because Ikea had done a ton of great additions into 10.4 from the previous ones. Uh, you used to have to do it through like the Backports uh, repository, but that's in by default, so that's great. Uh, Terminix is now down to Tilex for the terminal. That was just more of a name change. I can't exactly remember why the developer had to do that, so... You still have that in there, uh, Quake mode by default, you know, F12, kind of the default for a lot of the drop-down ones. Uh, caffeine, Nightlight, uh, there were, you know, the traditional bug fixes. Like, none of that's really a big surprise either, but, you know, bug fixes. We had some 3.26 GNOME-related bugs that uh, David and Jacob spend a lot of troubleshooting time on. So that was all cleaned up. Um, we had some great QA ISO uh, feedback. So that helped a lot. We actually had some community members, you know, updating stuff on the wikis, which was great because you always want to get more people in there sort of uh, getting involved and getting more, you know, fingers on the keyboards. 
So that was good. And then we had some great Patreon donations in the last little bit. So that was, Very that's nice. huge for us. Like we're fairly small. So Patreon donations are awesome. And then just a couple of days ago, the team just sort of decided that we wanted to throw uh, a good chunk of that back up towards Solus and the Budgie desktop. So we did a donation up there back mm-hmm. to Ike and crew. Cause well, thank you. Thanks guys. Cause without them, like our flavor really wouldn't exist, you know? So right. we, we inherit a lot of that great work that they already do. Um, so, you know, it's a little something back up their way and, you know, outside of that, Budgie's just kind of humming along. It's, I think we got some pretty good defaults and now we're starting to transition towards the, uh, 1804 release cycle. Uh, those dates are obviously out and, ready to go. And I think everyone's starting to kick that off. We already had some stuff committed in for that. David's done some commits and work. And we're just now getting ready to sort of hammer out what we want to focus on in 1804. You know, it's our first LTS as an official flavor. So that's pretty big news for us. Just because we've only had 1704 was our first one. And, you know, they're all short-term releases. So, So we're starting to work on that. But probably one of the the best parts of the things that I'm excited about. We have a newer team member named Jacob and he has been uh, hauling cookies on lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of, <laughs> <laughs> way to go, dude. Way to go. What almost came out of my mouth would not have been good. So yeah. um, he's been developing a bunch of uh, new applets that right now we're just getting ready to release to everyone. They'll end up in our backports repo, but they're not in there yet. We're just starting to get some of our community members to test them out. So we've got some great stuff like uh, we have one called Showtime, which is just kind of a digital clock on the on your desktop, kind of like a, what Conkey can do, but it's just a little more focused. In that, we've got things like window. Well, sorry. speaking of that, uh, okay. like that, is that going to be under all the windows, over all the windows? Like Conkey sits, you know, where Windows can cover it. Windows can cover it. It's okay. just on top. It, it, it's, I don't know. It'd be too, to me, it'd be way too distracting to be over top of the windows. I mean, you've, depending on what you're running on, if you're on a laptop, I think the last thing you want is something bludgeoning over well, top Well, has some themes that do pop over the windows and they're yeah. frustrating. The second I click on some of the options for that and it shows above the windows or it's its own windowed you know, thing like clock or whatever, I get rid of yeah. it. I don't want that. Yeah, I, I would never want that. This is just meant to be a little lighter weight, just a neat little option that can be thrown on the desktop itself and sort of sit underneath. Nice. Uh, we've got another one like called window previews. It's kind of like an expose of sorts. Um, so alt tab gives you like the overview of all your applications on your current workspace. Um, and then if you go with a super tab, you'll get an overview of um, like the application windows that are on the current workspace as well. So each view you can get either all your applications or just all your windows associated with one application. Gotcha. And they're kind of in an expose type view. And then also down at the bottom of the uh, list when you when you get the pop-up, there's like a bunch of bullet buttons and numbers that signify the number of open applications on your different workspaces as well. And then you can like click and go over there and sort of check that stuff out. Uh, we've also got just the concept of hot corners, you know, nothing overly new in computing, but you can just basically kick off any terminal command 
just with a hot corner and it hibernates if you're not, if you have the applet on, but you're not actually using it. So it should well, well, explain that for a second. So I could set up like, um, I don't know, pseudo app, get upgrade as a hot corner. And I just move my mouse to the left corner and it executes that. Bingo. Whatever you wow. want to do, whatever you can think of. So you could do scripting. Constantly you could that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everybody's got a bunch of different uses use case for it. Uh, so, like, I used to use it to lock my screen just out of habit. I just knock it down to the right corner. That's awesome. My screen like would lock that. and walk away. So, basically, anything that you can run from the terminal, you're gonna be able to activate with a hot corner. Nice. Uh, let's That's see awesome. what else we got there. We got a wallpaper switcher. So, a lot of our focus was sort of in the concept of multiple workspaces and just sort of customizing them to the way you want them. So, the wallpaper switcher. Uh, by default, Budgie, you when you set your wallpaper, it's the same across the board for all your workspaces. And what Wallpaper Switcher allows you to do is that you can set a, a unique wallpaper per workspace. That and then is as, cool. Yeah, and then as you flip over, it dynamically switches it in and puts that in there, and it'll remember whatever you set for each workspace. Rocco, you're going to have to take multiple pictures of me now for every <laughs> oh screen. Oh, my gosh. Really, dude? No, I installed... Um, budgie just last night uh okay and some of the i mean okay so it's they're just wallpapers but some of the wallpapers yep. were absolutely awesome in there so yeah. i got i got to check that uh I, I installed it on a separate hard drive so i got to check that whole uh, workspace switcher out what was your yeah. feeling when you logged in because I, I did as well but i want to hear it from you first uh, honest opinion when you first logged into budgie after using what you you've been using gnome right i've been using gnome what did you think okay so my first reaction is it's a beautiful desktop. Isn't I'm sorry. it? It is That's a beautiful desktop. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because, you know, I'm, I, I love XFCE. I'm, I'm just, I've, I've fallen in love with it. But when I went into Budgie, I was like, wow, this thing is just gorgeous. You can't deny it. You just can't deny how beautiful it is. And, you know, Nightlight and Caffeine are two, you know, you mentioned them just kind of briefly over yeah. but they're two really cool apps Yep. because Nightlight allows you to basically remove some of the, well, it, it basically yellows your screen, right? It takes, or it takes out some of that yellowness while you are, um, if you're at night, so you don't uh, hurt your eyes or also they've done studies to show that it actually keeps you up by having that kind of uh, blue light in there, right? Thank you. Yeah, it, it definitely keeps you awake. But that's caffeine's... Kind of the whole theory. Caffeine's very important because caffeine, if you're watching any videos or doing any type of, um, you know, media consumption, your screen will automatically lock itself. Well, caffeine keeps that from happening, basically. It will keep your screen from going into that lock mode. So two very cool things. And I know you guys were talking about desktop wallpapers and everything else, but it kind of just kind of flows into the whole thing of Ike of an OS that just gets out of your way. And that's kind of <laughs> what you feel when you get into it, you know, even on the Ubuntu budgie side is that just getting out of your way thing. And it was gorgeous. Well, the two things that are, that stand out the most about it is it's beautiful and the defaults are awesome. Yep. Okay. I per still personally prefer a full screen menu. In, in like what gnome really? has i really do yeah. i mean even that when i ran so kde uh i would always run the full screen launcher okay wow. it was the first thing that i did when i installed kde was to switch the launcher from the default one now to i'm not trolling i got an honest question for go you. ahead okay so in windows 8 i think it was or even in i don't know <laughs> if they have it still in 10 but you know how they had the full screen launcher 
<laughs> Did you like that? I was the only guy, the one and only guy that liked that. <laughs> Did you really? Everybody else hated it. You really liked it, though? I did. I liked the full-screen launcher. That's interesting. Okay. So, it depends how it's I mean, I'm not saying it was implemented correctly with Windows 8. Sure. But, but you the, like the idea. The idea of having a full-screen launcher is awesome. Okay. So, but again, going back to Budgie, like mm-hmm. I said, beautiful, and the defaults are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's really just a question of preferences. And as long as you can customize it to whatever suits your needs, you're you're good. Like, for example, the way I use Budgie is like, I get rid of Plank. I assign keyboard shortcuts to my browser, mail, client, and terminal. I almost never go into the menus or I use the uh, run dialog for anything I don't use. And that's just my use case. Like I tend to, uh, the desktop's just a means to launch an application uh, for me. And I'm not even like notifications and stuff other than that, like, I don't really look at them other than the pop-up ones. Like I know Raven's got like some great notification systems in there, but I almost never go into Raven and everybody just works a little bit differently. And I think the real thing is, is as long as your specific desktop does what you want, then you're good, whatever it is. Anything other than Budgie that you play with, do you distro hop? Um, I have some test machines. I Mm -hmm. tend, but even on then, I tend to put Solus a fair amount just to kind of keep an eye on what they're doing. And and some people will be like, well, what, you know, what good is that? Because it's the same desktop. That's true. But, you know, like just sane defaults and things like that. And I respect what they're doing. Uh, Once in a while, I will, I don't really distro hop. I more so will just put alternative uh, desktops on. So I tend to just kind of run across the flavors just because my base is Ubuntu because that's just where I'm working. So I put Mate on here and there. I mean, I love what Martin's doing. He's got a lot of great stuff, especially in 1710. Uh, so I like to watch what he's up to because uh, it's it's good. I, I don't really tend to go outside of the ecosystem a lot, not because it's not interesting. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff happening everywhere. It's just my use case. I find I've got too many interests, so right. I have to whittle them down a little bit. And that's sure. probably my biggest fault is that I'm like, oh, squirrel. And then I'm looking over there and then I should be looking back over there. It's like, it's like a personal Kansas city shuffle, you know? Well, I think you make a good point. I mean, a lot of people say, well, it's XFCE, it's XFCE or it's gnome, it's gnome or it's budgie, it's budgie. And that's not the case. If like no. the other day I put <clears throat> Majaro XFCE on the new AMD Ryzen build I did. And it's a completely different experience than yep. Ubuntu XFCE. Completely different. The defaults, the menu, color schemes, it feels different. It's all different. It's not necessarily better or worse, but there are just different defaults and setups there that make it a completely different experience when you first go into it. So someone may have used XFCE in the past or GNOME or Budgie in a different environment and not liked it, but would like it in a, another distro environment, which I think is very interesting. And people, I don't hear a lot of people talk about well, I think that's why people end up where they end up is because of the implementation, not necessarily the desktop. Like if right. I look at things like KD and GNOME, so before I was using Budgie, I was like a Windows, uh, like an i3 user. So I was tiling manager, you know, and there's no same default there. You got to right. set it up. Yep. Uh, but before that, um, I was almost always GNOME 3. And I would always dip in with KDE, check it out, come back out. And, but I found that the experience was super, super different depending on which distro you went with. Like if you were, um, you know, if you went raw arch, well, then you're pretty much setting it up exactly the way you want it. If you go with something like uh, Antergross or however you want to pronounce it, because I'm probably saying it wrong, uh, you know, their implementation is drastically different. So, so long as, 
you know, someone has the same defaults and, and people find it and you tend to appeal to their, I don't know, I don't want to call it like-mindedness, but just, you just hit the same defaults and they're happy, then you're going to keep them. And I think that's what keeps people there is what and how you configure it, not even necessarily how the desktop is. So with Ubuntu Budgie 17.10, you've gone through a lot of the features that have happened. What's your favorite change you've seen in this update? In this one? Uh, Well, like I was saying, 10.4 by default. Uh, Okay. Because there were a lot of almost things that I feel were a necessity for like the base portion of the desktop. Like not even talking applets, not talking about any of that, just like base functionality, like pre 10.4, like you look at the older versions, like in the 10.3 series and the um, alt tab functionality, like it was pretty raw at the time. Right. And that was one of the reasons why uh, just before uh, 10.4 and all that stuff, like Ike literally put a bounty out to get that work done because he realized that, you know, it needed some work and he got that work done by a community member just to get a working thing. And it was just one of those base functionalities that I would say a lot of people expect, you know, like they, you don't, you don't want to have to load a desktop and go try to use something basic like alt tab. Like, let's face it, like that's, that's an every OS, you know, right. any GUI OS. And if it's not working or, not a sane implementation you're going to look at and kind of go mm, uh, this kind of reflects the rest uh, the rest of the desktop you know and that leaves a bad not a bad taste but it might it might leave a perception that isn't necessarily true of the underlying system or architecture so now, do you guys get any reports that tell you this is how many people are downloading ubuntu budgie this is its popularity i mean i'm sure you can't give out those numbers but do you see since 17.10 it's going up it's going down yes. it's staying flat no, it went up. Absolutely went up. So uh, with 1710, as I mentioned, we had better community involvement, but now like our community room has become much more active since the 1710 release, which is great. You know, that means hopefully we're growing on some level, you know, like we're still relatively small and but people are coming in, people are asking questions. Uh, fortunately, a lot of the the conversations we had are just more questions on how to do things, mm-hmm. not so much on like, Oh, I've got this bug. And so, I mean, there, is, there are aspects of that, but it's more of like, how do I do this? So what does that say to me? Well, we should probably improve our documentation or at least have right. documentation right. somewhere, you know, like just for the basics. Now uh, we, we have had that discussion and it is something that we need to do, but uh, we just haven't sort of implemented that yet. So, yeah, but, but that's good. We're growing. I think it's hard to uh, break into the desktop environment area anyway, uh, or into a distro area, because there's so much, so many out there. And I think that when people try Ubuntu Budgie, like, you know, like I said, there's so many out there to try, including Solus. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people would try Ubuntu Budgie, they would see the same things that me and Ryan saw when we first booted into it, how beautiful it is. And I think people, you know, you don't get that because like they're too busy trying all of these other, you know, big names. Right. And it's hard to break into that area, but seriously, the let me ask you a question. Have any of you three or two have run into anybody that's tried Ubuntu budget and said, ah, I don't like that. Um, if I've seen people say that, it's one of two things. Either they like a very specific set of functionality that another distro offers. Like, for example, let's say the Brisk menu in Mate. Right. Like, the Brisk menu is great. Like, I, I wish Budgie, the Budgie desktop had the Brisk menu. But 
it doesn't. So you'll get people who will come in, they'll try out budgie, they'll like really like it. And they'll be like, Oh, well, I just kind of don't like the way the menu works. So I'm going to go back or I'm going to go over here because, you know, I want a rolling distro or something like that. So that's yes, but more, wanting a rolling distro is probably different than not liking budgie. You know what I mean? True, like, very true. Very true. So. I just mean that there's something another distro fulfills in what they want. Right. Whether, you know, you're correct. Like the, a rolling distro versus budgie, you're absolutely correct. That's not, probably not a great, uh, comparison, but uh, just more my point is, is there might be a feature of another flavor distro desktop that just doesn't quite fit their workflow. And then that's when you'll get them jumping back. I think there, there's never been like any outright, like, Oh, but she sucks. Yeah. You know? Well, that's I what mean, I'm ta- That's why I brought it up because I don't yeah. hear people say that everybody that tries it, we're like, wow, you know, that's mm-hmm. usually their, their reaction to it. And I think if there was one chink in the armor of Budgie, it would probably mm-hmm. be the menu itself. Yeah. So I, I agree. Uh, that, I absolutely agree. And I think also a lot of it too is, is it, Budgie is still relatively small outside of Solus and Ubuntu Budgie, right? Like, so if you go looking like at the news articles and everything that's coming up for Linux, or even Ubuntu, like we're relatively not in the news a ton. Right. But the other day for the first time, I don't know why I never thought of this. I just went searching like say Twitter based on hashtags and stuff. And then I was going through what people were writing and I was kind of like, oh, okay, people are liking this. I just don't hear about it because (laughs) maybe I'm looking in the wrong spot or maybe because we don't have a lot of media coverage or anything like probably most of the media coverage that we've gotten consistently uh, is probably you guys are one of the biggest supporters. Um, OMG Ubuntu, like Joey's done, you know, he covers our stuff here and there, you, you know, he's open to it. Um, but I mean, outside of that, you'll occasionally see some of the other media outlets cover it. And then a lot of the times the information's a little skewed. It's not so bad as it used to be like even <laughs> six months ago, but there, there, there was always like a lot of confusion between or behind like how things were structured and you know the the relationship between like say Solus, the budgie desktop ubuntu and right. you know how it all sort of relates and and i get it because there's such a small it, it's kind of a small family in a weird way you know what i mean like they're all right. related but not directly um and then the funny thing is is like people are or can install budgie on other systems but you don't hear a lot about it yet you know, right. like you could go run it. I mean, but geez, in Debian, like David packages it into Debian and then we bring it down in like, so we're not just packaging for Ubuntu. It's actually upstream further up in Debian. So you could put it in there if you wanted. Well, I suggest everybody at least try Ubuntu Budgie once. Okay. Uh, even if you don't end up <laughs> liking it, at least try it because really? it's definitely worth a try. Yeah. We're not just saying it for Dustin, even though we kind of like him. Yeah, well, yeah. Sorry, Dustin's okay, but <laughs> he's all right. But honestly, he's overrated. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, when 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 we tried it, I I wanted to get Rocco's theme uh, or Rocco's you know feelings on that because that's kind of the first thing I thought is, my gosh, this thing is gorgeous. And wait, did you put on transparency? Did I? No, Brian. Did you put oh, on no. the transparency? Oh my gosh, dude! You said it's beautiful. Then go into the panels and turn on transparency uh-huh. on, well, I added the two panels, but go in and turn transparency on. It is absolutely gorgeous, dude. Yeah. 
Nice. My uh, my setup lately is I'm really happy with is I have I think I sent you guys screenshots, but it's mostly black. And then down at the bottom, I just went dock mode with just centered on the bottom, and it's just all nice white crisp icons with transparency, and they're just nice and small and out of my way. That's kind of what I had to do with GNOME because I didn't like that splash one. I went full dock mode. But Dustin, clearly you have no idea what you're talking about when it comes nope. to budgie. So uh, no. we, <laughs> we appreciate you very much giving us that insight into it because it is yeah. uh, really Ubuntu Budgie is an amazing experience. So go check it out. Uh, some other things we could pick your brain with here are snaps. So, yeah. you know, LibreOffice and Chromium, Chromium, not Chrome, Rocco. Not I, don't, Chrome, I don't know Chromium. what you're talking about. Uh, they have some snaps that are available now for testing. Why does this matter? Why do we care? I could get Chromium. I could get LibreOffice any other way from the software stores or through the terminal. Why do I care? Why do you care? Well, uh, modern versions is one of the big selling features. Oh, I mean, mine. <laughs> uh, the confinement. Confinement's one of my favorite aspects. Like even trying out software, you drop it onto your system and you pull in a lot of dependencies through the traditional app installations, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if you're just one of those people that likes to drop something on quickly, have a look at it, check it out, and then you want to nuke it and you want to keep your system clean, well, it's all uh, essentially containerized through snaps and with your dependency and everything. So you can just rip them back out. So you can test, you can get the latest versions, uh, the confinement's proper from a security point of view. Like there's, there's lots of great sort of stories behind that, even above and beyond the cross distro stuff. Like the cross distro stuff is a, a huge part of the story, but it's not the only part of the story. So I would say those are probably some of the bigger reasons. Um, I personally find them easier to package up, you know, but that's also pretty subjective. Like you can get, you get anyone into this conversation about universal packaging or even just packaging in general. And you're going to have people that are kind of fans of any, one technology and they're going to be inherently against the other ones, which is fine. Everybody's got their own opinions. You, you use what works for you and your setup. But um, I personally, I like snaps a lot. Um, so in the software store, are we going to see snaps and the standard software store implementations in the store at the same time? So it, it's already like that. Chromium. Is that everything like cleaned up? Oh, I imagine so on some capacity, I'd say there's probably some UI things that could happen in the store apps themselves. Like, you know, maybe like I'm just speculating here, maybe in the future, there'll be a setting that says give priority to, you know what I mean? And then just don't show duplicates like that might be a UI thing that could happen. So if you prefer snaps, you could go ahead and set that setting. Uh, that's what I would do anyways. You know, not that my... That's one of the most annoying things right now in Ubuntu software store is the duplications. And some yeah. of them don't work anymore. So you'll go to one that, you know, and you'll use it and it doesn't do anything. Then you go to the next one and it works. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Yart, if you will, <laughs> in the arch where you've just got 15 choices of the compiled yeah. package that you can choose from. And you keep going through to find one that works, especially when you're or the right one from or the, the right, right developer. You know, you don't want to just go for, you know, any package and anybody can package up the uh, program. So you want to get right. the one that's directly from the developer. So yeah, sure, I well, totally agree. On the AUR, you have popularity. There's not really a great rating system, meaning it's not utilized heavily in a lot of cases in the Ubuntu software store where you can tell, 
oh, this one's got, you know, 500 people that download it. Like I, I, right. I'm more interested in knowing, and somebody mentioned this, I think for Android app store, which I thought was a great idea. People can, can kind of cheat the stars and, you mm-hmm. know, have people game it a bit. they can game it a little bit. But one of the things they, they were suggesting for like Android was to not only show how many people have installed it, but how many people have kept it installed, you know, on average. So it's not something where people just download it and then they're like, oh, this is not what I want removed. Right. And then it, 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 like, it's a good metric, but then I wonder how many people are going to start crying creepy. You know what I mean? Because that means it's obviously pulling additional info from your handset to know that it's still installed. So you're going to have people like, I find it an interesting metric, but you're going to have a lot of people that aren't going to like that. Uh, and to add further to your sort of context of which one to install, so there's been a lot of uh, discussion, or maybe not a lot, but there's some discussion on the Snapcrafters forum about multiple versions. Because if you just go and do, let's just say you go Snap Search Telegram uh, from the command line, there are multiple Telegram results. And then, of course, you can go pick the newest one. You know, that indicates that it's, uh, you know, being maintained, but there are multiple telegrams and, uh, Telegram options in there. And so until you know sort of which one, to install, um, there might be some confusion for newer users. So there's the concept of, I don't want to say verified, like that, that's part of the discussion is like, should there be a verified developer? Is it a, cause it's not always like with snaps, it's not always upstream that's packaging it. It could be anyone like there's like Martin and them, they started the snap crafters group, which is a, another organization on GitHub where, you know, a lot of people are part of that team and they'll start snapping things up. And then once it's in a working state, they'll transfer it over to the snap crafters uh, organization, which is, I think it's a good thing uh, because then when you look at your search results, you can see that the organization's snap crafters are canonical. And over time you'll get an idea of who to trust and, you know, it, it, but it's like anything, you have the same problem in Debian packaging. Like if you go add an apt repository, do you trust that person? That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And so a lot of people are looking at snaps and saying, well, okay, well, who do you trust? But the same thing still applies. You, you, there needs to be a way to verify or validate the, of where the you should store be. just seems so broken right now that honestly I'm doing everything through the terminal. I don't even want to touch the store. It's, right. it, well, and I install a lot of apps. Like yeah. I have a list on my website of all mm-hmm. the apps I install when I do new distro and it's long yeah of stuff that i like to have but it was very frustrating getting a lot of that software through the store because there were just yeah. so many confusing options that i just ended up going in a lot of cases and getting it through the terminal because it was just easier to navigate than the yeah. software store well that's what i do i mean because the problem with the software store is well, what front end are you using? Are you using GNOME software? Some people are starting to go over to use the uh, new elementary offering. Uh, yep. it? Someone just started to uh, put their own skin on it. I can't remember. I heard on one of the other podcasts. So it really depends on what you're using. Wait, there are people... other podcasts? You don't just listen to I, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> Kick about. Kick off the show, Rocco, right now. <laughs> um, Loyal listeners only. I didn't say I wasn't listening. <laughs> um, so it depends on the, the what sort of like how each distro or flavor is implementing. Like what are they using for the front end? And I think there's a lot of debate there. Like I know, for example, in 1804, like we are looking at what we could use. Like we are considering replacing GNOME software. Like one of right. our guys, Nicola, like he's looking at that. We are looking at things like uh, even the theming, you know, for the next version. 
you know, like it's well, like, how do you want to implement it? Like that all comes back to implementation details. I have no doubt Canonical is going to fix it all and it will be the best software store in the next few months than anybody's ever seen and it will work perfectly. Hopefully. And the good news is because Canonical has joined the Gnome Foundation Advisory Board <laughs> to help make sure that happens. Right, Rocco? That's right. <laughs> so this just came out this week. So they decided to join along with Gnome to be on the advisory board. So the question is, now they have complete control of Gnome, right, Dustin? No. no okay. Advisory. Oh, okay. <laughs> you are new overlord. <laughs> <laughs> so what, does, what exactly is the advisory board for people that don't know? Well, my understanding of it is it's more of like a conglomerate of um, – like or people have similar interests in Gnome itself, right? But you'll have a bunch of different companies sort of coming in and either offering, some, for some people it might be opinions, some might be in a consulting sort of capacity because maybe they have experience in certain uh, different technical aspects. They all may have an interest in it. Like it's, it's literally just that an advisory board. It's to, as a group, try to drive things, hopefully in the right direction. So other members of the board include mm -hmm. Google, Google, the Google. Document Foundation, Red Hat, and Seuss. So I guess Canonical mm -hmm. goes alongside of them. So how much say do they really have then over everything? I mean, I know it's just an advisory board, but how much pull do they have? Especially well, being their, them, it's in their operating system now. Well, yeah, but it's also in everybody else's operating system, like Red Hat ships known by default. Um, depend like I on like so to be honest, I don't understand how or how they weight those sort of things. Like maybe it's based on different uh, like levels of maybe funding and things like that. But uh, the reality is, or my understanding is, is no one entity has more say than others. Now, you could argue that, you know, Someone canonical. who's as big as Canonical or Red Hat is going to have more sway than, say, a smaller well, entity. I did see a behind-the-scenes picture into one of the meetings, their first meetings, and there mm -hmm. was this big booth that was risen above all the other tables with Canonical <laughs> on it. And then there was this emperor with a red cape. Wait. So what you're oh, saying is <laughs> so what you're saying is that yeah. Canonical would have more pull than, say, if I was on the advisory board. That's no, a possibility. Your awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. All right. So what do we got next? Guess what, Rocco? What? Tell me. You can now install KDE Plasma 5.11.2 desktop and Latte Dock on Kubuntu 17.10. Now, through all of this Ubuntu jumping we've been doing, have you played with Kubuntu. Is that how you pronounce it or is it like Zeus or something? No. <laughs> it's, you it's, never know. It's totally you. Kubuntu. Okay. Um, cool. But I have not had a chance to... I have the ISO downloaded on my machine. I just have not had time to play with it. But having the latest KDE is always sometimes exciting, yeah. sometimes scary. Depends on how you look at it. But <laughs> it ships with 5.10.5 as the default. You add the PPA... And you're up to 5.11.2, which is the latest. So, And you also get the new Latte Dock and Krita 3.3.1. Krita is an amazing art program. I think I've told you about it before, Rocco. I don't know if you've had a chance to play with it yet, but anybody can become an artist with that awesome tool. And also there's a lot of uh, drawing pads like the Bamboo and other professional pads that work with Krita with Linux. So it's a very cool tool. Having the latest one obviously helps. 
So uh, definitely neat to see them coming up. I did install the KDE desktop through the terminal to kind of play with the Kubuntu desktop within, I think my ISO default installation was the XFCE. And, you know, it's, it's KDE. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> so, uh, Do you guys tend to go towards Kubuntu or towards Neon? If you guys were running for yourself, I'm just I'm curious. I've not played with Neon, so it would be Kubuntu with me. Well, I always tended to gravitate towards Neon. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time I tried Neon wasn't exactly the and that probably was due to the it's all due to timing on what point release it is for kde if it's an right. early point release it's, it may not be as stable as like the point fives mm-hmm. um but i usually gravitate to neon so i haven't tried kubuntu in a long time just for the new hotness i'm gonna have to try <laughs> I, like i said i got the iso downloaded i just haven't had time to play with it so. what happened with your xfce install rocco it's there it's we never only, followed up with it. and I don't know what you're talking about. It may not be there. <laughs> Are you using it right now? No, I'm not. Liar. I'm using okay. it. But did I tell you that I installed <laughs> Zubuntu on the laptop? You did. I did. And you're kind of falling in love, aren't you? Uh, did I tell you I installed the Zubuntu on the laptop? We <laughs> <laughs> will later. He, he loves the installer. Down. Yeah. Uh, uh, revamp Skype desktop app has been released, Dustin. You want to tell us about this? I know you're a big Windows fan. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so my understanding is this is the first stable release since they rewrote it using Electron. Um, I know the code base is there, you know, going across the board for all the OSs now, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, I think it's a good thing because we get included, you yep, know, right. instead of having those weird incompatibilities between Linux and the rest of the world. Uh, so I think it's a good thing. And, and the reality is, is if you look at other Electron apps that Microsoft has written, uh, like VS Code, like I know people aren't fans of Microsoft and that's cool, but VS Code is actually one of the best Electron apps I've ever used as far as performance. I so, didn't realize I was using Electron tools until Noah was talking about Electron on our show last week. And right. people know, and I think Discord are Electron apps. Yeah, so, yeah. so Slack, so awesome apps. Yeah, like most most of your desktop apps are probably Electron. So yeah. um, just the fact that, you know, they have a history of writing well-architected Electron apps. I know some people might say that's impossible. <laughs> but the reality is, is if anyone, I would trust them to do that. And considering that this is like audio, video, and all that kind of stuff, it, it has to be written well. And I threw it on yesterday now that it's stable. I'd gone early alphas and stuff, and it just wasn't usable at the time. But I've used it over the last couple of days just to sort of test it out uh, for the show. And I mean, honestly, I see zero issues with it. I mean, you're going to either love or hate the interface, I find, right? Because mm-hmm. that was a pretty big revamp. But it, it seems to be fine. They're trying to push the bots into that. I don't know whether they're talking bots for fun or bots for you know, more of the chat ops, DevOps stuff, which I really don't because I don't know anyone who's going to probably use it for that. But uh, really no complaints with it. it. I see no difference in it from the old version other than the fact it actually works. <laughs> it so, actually works. That's, that's a good yeah, thing, I hope. <laughs> so far. I mean, so far. I mean, granted, I haven't used it a ton, but, you know, it's it seems to be just fine, like no complaints. Well, apparently it has working screen sharing from Ooh. or to Windows, oh. Mac, and Linux. Oh, so there you go. That's a good One code base. So I could be on Linux and Ryan could be on Windows and we could share screens, what? right? <laughs> <laughs> that would never happen. No. 
I think the opposite of that, maybe. But maybe no. <laughs> that's why listen, I said it. Listen, Rocco. Hmm. Let me ask you something. If you took Zen and you smashed it together with Vega, what would you have? Um, mobile. You would have AMD <laughs> dominating the mobile market. That's right. How did you know that? You're so smart. Not read really. The- I just read it off the, <laughs> the key card here. AMD is back from the dead, and they are ready to conquer the mobile market. And let me tell you something. After doing a Ryzen build, I am unbelievably impressed with... I, I got the lowest-end Ryzen you can get, literally, the Ryzen i1200. And it's... It's just so powerful for a little chip. Well, they're going to take all the power of the Ryzen 5 and the Ryzen 7. It's going to be the Ryzen 5 2500U and the Ryzen 7 2700U. And they're going to smash that in with their Vega GPU. And they're going to create mobile processors for laptops. So now for the first time ever in history, you're actually going to be able to buy an AMD laptop and not be ashamed of it. Wow. <laughs> AMD sticker off of it anymore. It's not going to be overheating. You're not going to be using it as a furnace because the Ryzen is so cool. Um, if they keep with the same architecture that they have currently on their desktop, even the processor stays incredibly cool. And that's a first for an AMD. I've had the bulldozers and things before, and they were just so incredibly hot. You could actually feel it burning against my leg in the past. But now these new AMD chips, they're incredible, as everybody's knowing. So you're going to get that beauty of these two chips combined. Now, the Ryzen 5 is 2 to 3.6 gigahertz. And if you get the 7, you get to boost another 200 megahertz in there. But what's really incredible is comparing this chip against Intel here, Intel's mobile line of CPUs. They're claiming in their advertisement 200% more performance than a seventh generation Intel on the CPU and 128% better GPU performance. How do you like them apples, Intel? What do you think, Rocco? Well, we're going to have to ask our uh, our friend Michael Larabelle to uh, benchmark it for us and let us know, huh? There you go. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I, you know, I've said before, I've always had a, um, a, I don't know, a bad vibe about AMD. You have one bad experience, and now you hate all no, AMD. No, they look. <laughs> we've covered the Ryzen launch, and there, it's exciting to see the competition come to Intel because it'll make Intel work harder. Okay, uh, and if the chips work as well as they're advertised as, I think it's awesome. Yeah, but when it comes down to building a system, I'm kind of still in the back of my head. I have that leery feeling, and I don't want to jump in head first hopefully the more they keep going uh and they keep implementing all these new features then maybe that'll change i think this is exciting number one is i'm seeing some you know the the whole market's kind of getting thrown around when it comes to gpus and things because of the whole bitcoin mining thing but i'm starting to see some prices drop uh on the vega which i'm very interested in now the vega hasn't had the same performance comparisons of completely destroying the NVIDIA 1070s or 1080s, but it's certainly up there with its performance. And there's some uh, great stats depending on what game you're playing and what you're doing. But this is very important for AMD because it puts them directly in Intel's face in the mobile market, which is a huge market in the computer world is getting to those laptops. Most people, consumers are going out there and they're buying laptops. They're not building their own desktops. 
So I think that's where most of your sales are going to be. Having a good mobile offering there is going to be fantastic for them. And I think they're going to do very, very well because for the first time they have a very low uh, wattage CPU in there that would make sense to mobilize it. So I think they're going to do awesome. Well, I hope so. But you know one thing I'm sick to death about hearing? What's that? About XFCE? <laughs> no. Actually, I like hearing about XFCE. But <laughs> <laughs> the YouTube adpocalypse. I'm so yeah. sick and tired of hearing about it all the time, every day. And I don't know. What do you think, dude? Let's talk about it for a second. Well, you know, YouTube, uh, you guys were talking about this on some of your Saturday Night Live episodes. In fact, I think we had a whole Friday Night Live back then we episode did. where we talked. We just went down the whole because there was you have a lot of content creators on your show. And we went down the whole, you know, gamut of what YouTube's done. And the two sides of the coin where some people are basically saying YouTube's gone too far. They're trying to stop our freedom of speech. And the other side saying, yeah, they went too far, but they had to do a nuclear option to basically save any of their potential ad revenue out there. So those were kind of the two sides I think it fell on at the end. Um, recently, I had a few videos that were flagged for the first time because while you guys were having these conversations, and I think I've got a lot of videos out there, I didn't have any flagged. But recently, there were some that got flagged probably a month or so ago. And it was for video games that I, were, I was playing, specifically a horror game and another one where the actual characters in the game cussed. And I assume that's why it got flagged. It doesn't really tell you. It just says partially demonetized or something like that. So, I mean, that's a pretty strict rule, right? For a video game character to, to cuss and then you're, you get no money for your video because the advertisers don't want to be a part of that. Uh, so what's, what YouTube's apparently done is they have kind of ruled out some more robust AI that is supposed to flag 30% less videos now um, <laughs> because they have a more robust algorithm uh, that they're using. So they used basically this algorithm plus some human reviews. They put it all together and now we have Skynet will soon take over the world. But at the moment, it's being used to determine if your video is ad safe or not. Do you guys feel like this is just kind of a story of them being disconnected from their customer? I think they've been disconnected from their customer for a long time, personally. So, so who are they targeting? That's what I don't understand about this sort of stuff. Like, because you, like in a traditional business, I mean, people are going to try to follow where their market goes, right? So, if they're not listening to their customer, where are they getting their information from, or is it all just in the in self like a self servicing sort of kind of view that maybe they're? Well, see, there were a couple out? companies, as I understand it, that kind of was it Washington Post or one of those newspapers that kind of kicked off this whole. Let, let's at least, since Rocco's playing horns while talking about YouTube, at least go into the one thing that Zeb brought up, Rocco, our producer, our well-paid rich producer, Zeb. So, Zeb, you have your own YouTube channel, and you recently had some issues with um, a live stream incident with OBS. So tell us about it. Okay. Um, well, I was just doing a normal distro hop, hepatitis syndrome, and... The first time you install OBS Studio, it gives you the option to run a wizard. And this allows it to pick the optimum settings for your OS and your bandwidth and all the rest of it and set it up automatically so you don't have to go in and choose bitrate and NVENC or whatever. Um, now, this produces a 13-second gray 
ghosty nothing video that gets uploaded to, to YouTube. Literally 10 seconds after that's finished, I go on and I delete the video. And I've done it hundreds of times in the last year. About two minutes later, I get notified that I've had a community strike against my channel. Um, I can't appeal it because I've now deleted the video that caused the strike. And I'm now banned from live streaming for 90 days. 90 wow. days. That does seem a little bit excessive. And it's also happened to another YouTuber that you guys may know, a gentleman called Pseudo Reboots. Yeah. Yep. He also got banned for exactly the same thing. Now, uh, while you guys have been chatting, I've jumped on the OBS forum and tried to advise them that this is happening. And someone said, yeah, thanks very much indeed. But if you'd have read the auto config warning, we told you to set it to private. I can't find that. Um, somebody else jumped on and said, oh, well, it's all part of YouTube's terms and conditions. Now, if any YouTuber has read those 30,000 words <laughs> that are in the terms and conditions. Everybody reads the terms and conditions, dude. Don't you know that? Yeah. And again, I've just spent 20 minutes trying to find test stream private. I can't, I can't find a thing. So it seems a bit harsh that it's buried somewhere that you cannot do a test stream. Um, and it just seems a bit strange that if you're meant to be in private mode, why don't OBS help their users out and say, stop, is YouTube in private mode? I, st I still don't quite understand why it's doing that though. Like I don't understand. Why would it even matter? Yeah. What What is the problem that that would even matter? Well, I can tell you that in OBS, when you when you first do that install, it gives you two options. Do you want to optimize your system for recording locally, or do you want to optimize your system for streaming? So I know on the recording locally, you can just you can do that and you'll be fine. When I have done the optimize for streaming, because I'm more interested in recording, so I've always done that. But just so happens the other day I said optimize for streaming and asked for my key. And I just randomly typed in a bunch of stuff because I wanted to get past it and I didn't want to look up my key. And I'm so glad I did that before <laughs> I heard this message because otherwise I'd be banned for 90 days too. I'm sure there's something they're trying to stop from people from DD uh, DDoSing them or something with videos that they're popping up and taking down. I don't know, I but it's really stupid and it's kind of go falls into you know youtube having a very trigger happy methodology and i'm sure there are reasons for it but not a great way to get support from them to fix those type of situations and because they have so many people who utilize the platform it's probably very hard for them to have a support system because they already don't make a lot of money off of youtube for it but it just kind of stinks all the way around yeah. You guys must be the first ones using OBS on YouTube, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we know they've got 300 hours of videos every minute going onto the channel. But it, it must be something that they have just introduced because, as I say, I must have produced 100 of these test streams. I know Sudo's done exactly the same thing. Any YouTuber who wants to discuss a new distribution would have automatically gone through this process. And there's another gentleman out there called Clatterford Slim. He's still got about 10 of these videos on his YouTube channel, but has never been struck off. So just a little warning to fellow YouTubers out there. Don't use the automatic YouTube facility, not YouTube facility, but OBS facility 
unless you set your stream to private first. Nice. Well, Rocco is going to reach out to the Google CEO tomorrow and get a direct answer for you, Deb. Wow. He's going right. to demand it. I have that much pull? Okay. No. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> thank well, you, thank Deb. you, Deb, for that. That's actually really important for people to know because uh, getting banned is a big deal. Uh, especially a 90-day band. It's not like it's a nine-day or a five-day. It's a big deal. So that's our new producer, everyone. Round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. So moving on, Firefox to get a better password manager. Was the one they have bad? I don't know. Is the one they have? Of course it was bad, dude. Nobody Who uses the Fireworks built-in password manager? Who uses any, any browser's <laughs> built-in password manager? Raise your hand. Dustin. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, no. so <laughs> it, it's a great idea to uh-huh. build a better password manager, but really, right. are there people who are going to trust this? You know, well, I guess at some point you're trusting somebody with your passwords, like a LastPass in some cases. Maybe you use KeyPass or something like that. But either way, you're you're making, unless you wrote your own, you're doing some trusting I around guess. there, right? I guess. Well, um, you, just, you just described open source. Like, think about what you're installing on your systems. Think sure. about where you're storing your passwords. Like, you have to make that decision on, do I feel good installing this? Do I feel good using this? You know, and especially when there's new things popping up all the time software password managers, you know, like there's that new one, uh, Bitwarden that's coming out. That seems to be a viable LastPass alternative. So do you trust them? Do you trust Mozilla? Like, where do you go? That's kind of a, almost a personal decision combined with a little bit of common sense. Your password manager, you don't have to say what you use, but do any of you pay for it? Yes. I don't pay for it right now. I have in the past. I use NPass for managing passwords. Because it works. His password on, is his main password's monkey one, by the way. Monkey one is my main password. <laughs> That's right. um, it's but Ryan. NPass works it's on Ryan. <laughs> Windows, Linux, and mobile. So, and it's free uh, to use. So, there is a paid version of it, but I think it has more to do with mobile than anything. Nice. That's usually, that seems to be the common thing with these password managers is where you can kind of get in for free. And then if you want to have either syncing across the platforms or a mobile client, they just charge you for the mobile client, which, you know, in my opinion, that's fine. Yeah. yeah well, password money. manager is kind of mandatory at this point to have. Which one you choose is up to you. Certainly, you could use the browser versions if that's what you want. Uh, don't know the trustworthiness of any of them. So there mm-hmm. you go. Uh, this extension will improve the UI and perhaps some security too. It's kind of in testing now. It's really meant for the employees. They're going to call it Lockbox to kind of test and play with it or their internal development teams. But you can play with it too. You can go download the alpha, put all of your most secret passwords in it. And then test and see how secure it is. But so I thought it was employee only. Yeah, you don't have to be an employee because they're just that open source. Wow. Yeah. They're that you good. just send me your social insurance number, your mother's maiden name, and I'll keep it safe for you. <laughs> you can trust me. All right. So there's more news for about Firefox. So uh-huh. they've been in the news a lot lately. Not always good, but they are implementing another privacy, as they quote it, privacy preserving feature. And it's taken from the Tor browser. So Canvas fingerprinting, what do you think? Well, this is really interesting. So what happens is, you know, if you're blocking certain elements from sites and trying to keep yourself private, well, they're they're finding ways to kind of assign a, it sounds like an advertising ID to you by utilizing some of the code that web developers create to go out and grab abs, ads from a single source and basically pull those ads into your 
your website. Uh, I think through iframes is how they're doing it. And they're using that code essentially to basically tell your browser, instead of doing that, we're going to use that iframe to kind of paint a random picture. And that random picture now becomes Rocco. They assign that to basically, they don't know it's you, but that picture now comes associated with you. So they start learning your habits and things that you're doing into them. Let's say your picture is a circle. So everywhere you go, they kind of know this is, you go to this site, then you go to this site, then you like to do this and you're that circle. Now, eventually they may pick up because you also log into your Facebook account that you are indeed Rocco and Rocco now gets associated with this circle. So... (laughs) That sounds like how it's kind of going. And I'm sure somebody who's a web developer can make some more sense of that. But essentially, that's the gist of the whole using the Canvas feature within your browser. Now, Firefox is going to allow you to block this. So instead of allowing that Canvas to start drawing through that iframe, it's going to have a pop-up and say, hey, they want to do this. They're trying to do this. Do you want to allow it? And you can say no and move on. So what you're saying is Firefox is saying they will allow you to turn off this feature of Canva, of advertising or blocking advertising or blocking uh, tracking, except for when they do it in the Mozilla add-on store or except when they <laughs> slide it in in the back door of a... Listen, maybe. you Chrome lover. <laughs> Nobody asked you about security. They don't guys, even have to draw it in an iframe for Rocco. He literally just sends them an act. They just take a wow. literal picture of you with your webcam and, and Chrome. And I, I have a microphone. They're Google. Yeah. They can hear everything, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just the way it is. What do you think, Dustin? Just use Brave. <laughs> there you go. That's a great idea. All right. So Kapersky. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Kaspersky? Kaspersky? Kaspersky. I don't speak Russian. It's a Russian thing. Yeah. Uh, good news about Kaspersky. They are, uh, they've been in the news a couple times. They've been falsely accused of many different things. Um, they recently uploaded U.S. documents uh, to some Moscow servers. But Rocco quit freaking out. They quickly deleted them. Of course so they did, dude. All those F-22 and F-35 secret documents have been <laughs> deleted and... Um, we don't know what they were, but apparently um, Kaspersky does some scraping, I guess. And maybe they're doing some scraping on the internet to kind of figure out what's going on out there to build virus databases. And it sounds like they scrape some classified documents. Um, well, we covered this article go. last week, I believe it was, about them actually getting this information. But this is the follow-up article to it to say... Yeah, and there's nothing to worry about. We deleted it all. So it's all good. Yeah. This is their side of the story to say, wow, we did find that stuff, but we this got rid NSA of it right away. Because they, they put the doc, they, the NSA employees apparently can put whatever they want on their computers. Yeah, like we said, like there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no, there's literally no IT recommendations <laughs> no. or rules or anything. Download whatever you want, yeah, put on whatever you want. It's all good. If yeah. I, if I delete all my internet profiles, does that mean they're gone forever? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> NSA just responded yes. Thank you, sir. Google yeah. did as well, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. They said you're good. Don't worry about it. All right. So what do we got next? You've given me a bunch of stuff to worry about. Don't tell me about anything else I need to worry about. All right. Let's let's jump down to 3D printers. I'm not a I'm not a big 3D pr- 3D printer guy. But you have messed around with them. 
So what's built, the news on this? I, I built a 3D printer from scratch. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, it was one of the most painful experiences of my tech building life. Really? Um, it is literally was later put into a box and shipped to somebody else who bought it on eBay and good luck to them. Wow. Um, the this this 3D printer, it's obviously a very much an emerging technology and there are situations. My wife bought this for me. It was an amazing gift. It was, you know, a $200 3D printer. And unfortunately in that price range at the moment, you're not going to get much but a kit and a bunch of kind of, you know, parts that are mingled together that you build yourself in a really poorly written instruction manual. Did you get this at Ikea? Uh, it would have been worse than Ikea. It was worse than any Ikea furniture out there. I did get it to work eventually, but not without the nozzle clogging up every five seconds and everything else, but the drivers and everything loaded perfectly fine. Um, one of the, one of the issues that you'll run into when you start looking into the higher end 3d printers is a lot of them do not advertise working for Linux. Now the workaround with that, with 3d printers is most of them allow you to print directly from source, meaning you basically take your 3D printed image, you put it on a memory card, you put it in the 3D printer and it prints. It doesn't, you don't need to have a direct interface with your computer, but it's nice as you get more and more into those to be able to, you know, directly interact and print without having to remove a memory card and put it into the printer. So with that being said, there is a new 3D printer out there on the market called BeagleBone, which focuses on ease of use, which was music to my ears because the <laughs> one I had was not easy to use. Um, really? BeagleBone? Yeah. Isn't, well, isn't, isn't BeagleBone just like a system on a chipboard, though? I don't know. It's the, They call it the Volat 3D printer features a Linux-driven BeagleBone SBC that connects to a cloud-based... Uh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, it uses a BeagleBone uh, single board computer. Okay, that's where I was confused. I was like, wow, they didn't do their homework on their name then. <laughs> so what is BeagleBone? It's a single board computer like a Raspberry Pi. Oh, okay. Thank yeah. So the Volad 3D printer looks absolutely beautiful. Unlike the printer I had, which was pieced together with a bunch of screws and plastic <laughs> pieces you glue with super glue. This one actually looks professional and, um, you know, just looks, it's, it's very easy to use. They've got cartridge, basically exchange tips. One of the biggest issues with 3D printers is the nozzle clogging and all that stuff. Well, this basically uses a cartridge that has your filament inside. You plug in your cartridge, but it also has your nozzle tip because those go bad quite easily because they get, you know, the whole idea is it heats up very hot, the liquid pours out, and then it builds. Well, this cartridge, it looks like, based on the pictures, actually comes with the nozzle tip built into the cartridge. You basically slam the cartridge in, print what you want. Once that cartridge is out, you flip it out, put a new one in. It sounds awesome. It looks awesome. So you can get involved with this Kickstarter there, and of course, it supports Linux, so you can't beat that, and not have the horrible experience that I had. This 3D printer, you can get your hands on it for reasonably priced $599, meaning Rocco will probably have one tomorrow, right? Right, right. All right. What else do we have in the news, Rocco? So have you ever wanted to be a robot or operate want, a man robot? <laughs> did I ever want to be a robot? Bionic yes. man. I want to be a, I want to be Mech Warrior. I mean, I've always I loved Mech Warrior as a kid, one of my favorite games. So the answer to that is yes. Well, the the world's first manned giant mech is on YouTube, and it's from South Korea, I believe. And these guys yep. have put this together, and it's a video, and I'm not going to play it because I don't need to get no 
we don't need to get <laughs> torn into uh, taking the video down. But um, it you'll we'll put a link in the uh, show notes. And if you watch this video, it's only a couple minutes long. It's a guy playing around with this giant robot. Right. But there's Linux spotted on this video. It's it's absolutely awesome. I think it's Ubuntu that they're running as they're <laughs> as they're working on it. it, it you got to check it out. So that's one of the greatest parts. The video is awesome. You get to see the robot. It's actually moving its hands now. It still has the anchors up at the top yeah. and everything. But he's obviously programmed this to be almost like one of those sci-fi films that you see, where he's taking steps inside the cockpit and it's moving and it's massive. And then he moves his fingers and this robot's moving its fingers. It's very cool. But then they cut to him programming it and it's not windows folks. And it's not Mac that he's using to write this thing. So definitely go check out that video. Very cool stuff. Yep. All right. So don't go to the article, Rocco. We're going to go to that article. Don't do it. We're going to go to that article, dude. It's, it's this article is just complete nonsense. You might as well have just picked it off from some no-name site because the person doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, the article that we're uh-huh. that I'm referring to <laughs> is an article on Linux and Ubuntu.com, and yeah. the title is "The Five Most Beautiful Linux Desktop Environments." Hmm. Okay, so let's see who's of who's in this article for Wait, the let five. Let Dustin guess who should be in the five. Who's in the five, Dustin? Who's in the five, Dustin? You want me to say who's actually in the five or who I think should be in the who, five? Yeah, just yeah, guess. Yeah. Act like you didn't see the article beforehand. Yeah. Act like okay. you're not reading it right now. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm pretty sure Gnome's in there. I'm pretty sure KDE's in there. Yep, that's two. Uh, Three. I'm going to go. I think we're in there. There's two. Three. Yep. Thanks, Okay, buddy. let's make this yeah. let's make this better. Let's make this better. <laughs> Give me a gonna... desktop that's not in there. Okay. Yeah. I three. Correct. I3 is not on there. The, yeah. That is correct. There's another there desktop awesome. environment uh, that is not in the five most beautiful Linux desktops. What is Brian, that, Brian? Brian, do, do you have your tissues? Hannah Montana. You are correct in that. <laughs> but there's another one I'm thinking of. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so let's go through them. So, uh, Budgie, and this uh-huh. is in no particular order, of course. And I, I, I agree with that one. Okay, Budgie is absolutely beautiful. Should definitely yes. be in there. Next one would be deep in desktop environment. You ever try that? Without a doubt. Yes, I have. Right. Gorgeous. Okay, uh, Gnome 3. Surprise. Agreed. Agreed. It definitely should be in there. KD Plasma 5. Mm. Could definitely no yeah. no question that one's on the top. Pantheon from elementary. I mean definitely back that. definitely should be the in, in the top XFCE, five. I of course. I am sorry, so sorry that XFC what? is not in this five. <laughs> well, there's somebody who left a comment about that. Obviously did you see the comment? I did not. Okay, there's a comment on the bottom of the article <laughs> if you scroll down. And yeah. And in, in the comment basically addresses the situation here perfectly, better than I could even say it. <laughs> um, but essentially, you know, the author was clearly trying to bring something new. Um, Should I read very, this comment? Go ahead. Uh, I don't remember who wrote it. but Okay, you the comment is from a DOS geek, <laughs> okay? And it says, don't want to embarrass the author, but you accidentally left it, left XFC from the top of your list. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, the guy's right. It's the only comment on the whole article, too. (laughs) 
Look, there's all kinds of good reasons why all of those are mentioned, and we could probably go really deep into yeah. why they all should be there, but uh, we don't. Time doesn't allow for us to go into it. But I thought it was a great article. Yeah, it, it was a wonderful article. Absolutely wonderful. All right, so all right. let's get into gaming, dude. You want to go gaming? Let's go gaming. What have you been playing this week? Sally Face. What? <laughs> Are you kidding playing, me? I've been playing Sally Face. What the Does that heck silly? is Sally Face, dude? All right. Let me tell you something. You can make fun of Sally Face, but if you play Sally Face, you won't be making fun of it anymore. Because this is a psychological horror game made by Steve Gabry, a dark adventure about a boy with a prosthetic face. So very simple layout, very simple design. You don't have to get your controller out. You don't have to memorize 50 controllers. This is, you know, different control mechanisms. This is pretty much point and click and go through the story mode. Uh, but there are some puzzle elements and, and item, you know, storage and memorization and different things like that. 417 very positive reviews out there for a $2 game, Rocco. So if you're on a budget and you want an awesome game to play, a lot of people love this game now i started to play it mm -hmm. and, and you know i'm not going to go tell all my friends i'm playing sally face <laughs> why not you just <laughs> did <laughs> sound silly uh I did, I did just tell everybody you um did. but but the game actually is very cool and there are some very haunting kind of elements and storylines in there and it is definitely a psychological you know, kind of horror game in there. So it's very cool. Played at night, turn the lights off when nobody else is home. And I think it will freak you out pretty good, especially, and I'll give this one hint, there's a brony in there. So there you go. What? A dude that loves that, my little That brony. definitely is something I'm not going to so play. So if that has to scare you, I don't know what will. <laughs> so definitely check out Sally Face. That's a game I've been playing. But I can tell you there's been a game I've been wanting to play. What is it, Rocco? It is F1, Formula One 2017, and it mm. is now on Linux, so you can play it because it does have tux. <laughs> so it gets the bus. That's it. So this came out on November 2nd, and it is an absolutely awesome game. Um, I went and I was on the uh, Twitch channel for Feral Interactive I think it was mm -hmm. Wednesday and they did a live stream of this game playing Formula One on Linux and they were playing it, I believe, on uh, Ubuntu 17.10 and nice. it ran flawlessly, dude. And the graphics on this game are absolutely amazing. They went through multiple uh, tracks, multiple uh, time frames for cars, like they have classic cars, they have modern cars. Right. Um they have element effects. Uh, they did a couple tracks in the rain, and wow. you could barely even see. I don't know. There was three That's three awesome. feral people there playing, and you could barely even see. So, what do you think when you get it? Well, Codemasters Feral Interactive have done it again, right? I mean, you're talking. You talked about the graphics when you watch the videos. This is AAA all day long, right? This is the AAA game. Definitely AAA about. Uh, additionally, there are Feral Interactive on their website. So those who are like me and are now so into the idea of playing this game that you're looking for a steering wheel, Feral Interactive has <laughs> steering wheel listing on their website to tell you which ones work perfectly with Linux. And there's like seven or eight of them that you can get out there uh, that you can use with Linux to play this game as well as any of the other racing games out there. Because to me, 
I want to buy it. It's 50 bucks, which is a big jump. I don't usually spend that anymore uh, ever since having kids on games, but I will spend that. But I wanted the steering wheel first. So I've already made a couple offers on some used ones on eBay this morning. I'm just waiting to see uh, if or, they'll accept the offers. Or are you hinting for your wife? Hmm. Yeah, there you go. You <laughs> a replacement for the printer. <laughs> or I could 3D print myself a steering wheel. There you go. There you go. Uh, not with the one I had, that's for sure. But it looks awesome. You've got career modes, multiplayer, research and development, pit stops, classic and current cars. You've got all of the different track environments. I'm not a Formula One person. I'm not going to go watch that on TV. It's not my thing. But this game is my thing, I think. Yep. I want to play it. Well, one of the guys had said it's a shame that uh, Formula One, the season will be over in two weeks. But I think and I said to him, I think that uh, that may actually play into it, that people people who are Formula One fans will maybe want to continue the Formula One experience and continue and start playing the game rather than just watching the series on TV. Absolutely. Well, speaking of racing, Super Tux Kart update adds new tracks and characters. So. I know you're a big fan of this game, Rocco. Well, look, we're going from the extreme graphics of Formula One to Mario Kart, Super Tux Kart. Yeah, kind of like Mario Kart. Look, I like Mario Kart graphics in there. Not busting on Super Tux Kart because it's it's a pretty decent game. It's an icon. It it is, and there's a lot of people that love it because you know it started out you know when there wasn't many great games on Linux, but uh, it's. Okay, Dustin, help me out here. Help him, Dustin. Do you love Super I, I'm not a big fan of Super Tux Card. I'm sorry. I'll just put that out there, okay? I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, send your hate mail to Rocco. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think I've installed it once, and I think I've done a lap, and then I think I had installed it. Look, it's nothing wrong with Super Tux Card, okay? No. It's just that, it. you know, like I said, when you have a choice between, like, I don't know, Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War, or <laughs> Super Tux Card. Yeah. You know, my time Not is limited. Happen. I mean, like, what am I going to play? Super Tux Card or Shadow of War? Of course I'm going to play Shadow of War. Or yeah. there's a new Windows <clears throat> only game coming out now. That I'm sorry, you're breaking up. I couldn't hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, there's a new war game coming out that I'm going to have to check out uh, soon. And <laughs> so Super Tux Cart might have to wait a little bit longer. But, you know, Super Tux Cart's completely free. You can get it in the software stores. If you have a low-powered machine, certainly, too. I mean, what it's a great game that you can go out there and grab. I haven't played it a lot, honestly, but I will tell you, that I was introduced to it very early on in my Linux life because people were always commenting in videos like, please do a video of Super Tux Kart. So I went and checked it out and I was like, oh, it's Mario Kart. And I love Mario Kart, but it's kind of Mario Kart with the penguin, but you got different characters, you've got different classes, you can play online. And it's a, it's a very well-loved game. So I get that people love it and I'm glad to see that it's still getting updates and some love out there. So they've got new tracks and characters and now you can also play it on Android. So on if you're an Android, Android, really, yeah, yeah, you can use your mobile phone and play Super Tux Kart, which I think is really a brilliant idea. Although you were saying you heard some of the controls aren't very good with it, Rocco. I haven't played with it. Yeah, I was talking to a couple different people, and uh, Michael Tanell actually, I believe, said that uh, the controls are not exactly optimum. We'll, we'll leave it at that. He didn't say that, but I'll. I'll Co- oh, something like that. Yeah, I'll translate to they're not exactly the best controls in the world because of the way you have to use them. But it's kind of hard to play those kind of games in the mobile platform. Period. So that makes sense. Yep. 
So in other news, there's this there's this game out there that you can watch get developed. And you can watch this game get developed on Twitch. You can go to the channel and watch it. But the coolest thing is it's being developed in Linux. So this individual city game studio, Sandbox Management Game, will release next year. And it's being made right now. Um, well, not right now, but it's being right made now? now. <laughs> and they're using Inkscape, Krita, which I'm telling you, you got to download and play with there, Rocco. I should. Uh, the, the Godot engine, GIMP, and they are building this game. Now, Blender actually inside of it has a game engine within it. So I'm not familiar with the Godot engine. I don't know if you are, Dustin, but not at all. Um, I'm not sure if it's an interface with the Blender engine or its own separate engine, it sounds like, but you can make games within uh, Blender directly. But this, they will be releasing this on Linux. And there's not a lot of information out there that I could find on it, but it looks to be very SimCity-esque. And you're basically doing kind of that uh, sandbox management uh, setup uh, of a game. So I think it's really cool, though, that you can watch the game get developed on the Twitch channel directly, which I think makes this super cool. Right. Yeah, the, uh, the Godot stuff is actually, it's just an open source 2D, 3D framework. So, you know, okay. their whole pitch is just that you're not reinventing the wheel and, you know, it's got the permissive MIT and all that kind of stuff. So it, it just sound, it's just another game framework. I believe that's fully open source. So I guess that falls in the, the theme of developing everything on Linux. And, you know, they're probably being pretty careful with the licensing and so on and so forth. Very cool. So if you are interested in that, you can go check it out. Um, I love it that this guy is doing this live on Linux as well because it kind of builds this whole idea of you can build games in Linux. And I did a whole series with my brother as a game developer showing just that. He never used Linux, and I did a video series showing him using all the programs like Torque and Blender that he was used to within Linux. And it took him no time. He would sit down, and I'd be like, all right, do 3D animation, and he could do it. It's the same, and that's what I was trying to prove. And this guy's kind of doing a little bit of the same there with Twitch showing you can build games in Linux, and it's awesome. Well, it is awesome to build games on Linux, but you know what's not awesome? What's that? When I get something wrong. What did you get okay, wrong? Okay, so last week we covered um, Euro Truck Simulator 2, and I took an article from Gaming on Linux, and uh -huh. uh, the guy from Gaming on Linux made a comment on the website to say that, hey, you know, like, it's appreciate you using the article, but, uh, you know, that was like a couple years old. So somehow that ended up in my RSS feed. But look, I don't, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes too. So that article came through, and it was a great game to talk about. So, uh -huh. you know, Regardless, we covered the game. It's great. But I so think this was... We're, a, we're saying Euro Trucker 2 has been out for two years? I won't mention how long it's been out, but I'll just say this. This game is... We covered just, it as a new game? This game is just coming out. That's great. All right. What, <laughs> what, what is the new game that's just coming out? You may want to check this if you're a listener. AER... Look, I told you I'm not perfect. AER Memories. Uh, uh, right. It is a adventure game and it is absolutely beautiful game it's like a combination of maybe uh, no man's sky and a little bit of mario world and it, you like turn into a like a falcon type animal mm -hmm. and fly around the uh environment it absolutely looks gorgeous unfortunately you know from steam sales and other occurring reasons i won't be able to purchase anything right at the moment but i would love to buy this game dude what do you yeah. think well it looks absolutely gorgeous i mean it's very artsy game 
So if you're into that kind of artsy theme, it reminded me of Zelda Breath of the Wild kind of look. And I know everybody's kind of got their own take on it, but that was my feeling uh, when I was in there. You fly and explore, transforming to a bird at will, large open world, hidden secrets and discoveries. There's not a lot of shooting and destroying and all of that type of stuff. It looks like it's more of just kind of it's an uh, adventure game. An adventure game, yeah. A lot of aesthetics and uh, vibrant art style, and it just looks very, very beautiful. Nice. All right, what do we got next? How about five of the best gaming mice for Linux? There, Rocco. Wow, you, know, you went you there, kinda, did you? You kind of got me with that desktop environment. <laughs> you article, went there, didn't so you? I kind of added one in there for me, huh. and uh, wanted to let you know that in this article, five of the best gaming mice. Your mouse isn't listed there. No, nay, nay, nay. The manufacturer <laughs> entirely isn't even listed there. Wow. Do you see How what? I, does be? everybody see what I have to put up with here? But you know what was there, Rocco? <laughs> the Zowie FK2 was there. Okay. This article is a great article because it highlights mm -hmm. a lot of gaming mice for Linux. Yes. Okay. But I still don't see how you put an article out of the top five gaming mice for Linux, mm -hmm. and you don't mm -hmm. include Logitech. Now, I have, smart. wait, I have been a very vocal person on how Logitech is crappy sometimes because it doesn't support Linux. It doesn't make a GUI for Linux to change right. your buttons and everything. Right. But in general, the mouse works great. Mm -hmm. And it does, you know, like I got a G502. Okay, right. and this is one of the best I'm gaming sorry. mice in my opinion ever. <laughs> G5 was good, but this uh -huh. is one of the best and it has onboard memory, so it remembers your configurations. Uh, you just can't physically change them once they're on the onboard memory in Linux. But as far as performance and all around gaming mice, I don't know how you can at least not mention Logitech and the G502. So you're basically saying Nick Congleton, the individual who wrote this article, probably spent months researching it, is wrong. Is that what you're saying from Make Tech Easier, that you don't like Nick's evaluation of gaming mice? I think Nick was uh, not informed enough about Logitech's gaming mice. <laughs> oh, he was informed enough. He just picked real mice. All right, so who's the top gaming mice, or is this in, in any particular order? Well, it's order? not in any particular order, but he, he has the Rocat Cone XTD uh, mouse on here. Now, he says that they don't support, doesn't support Linux, but they give us a nod. So, oh. so what does that mean? That pretty uh, much puts them in the same boat as Logitech. Boat as everyone right? else, exactly. Um, so this is interesting. They say it still works great. Uh, they work without drivers. Uh, the Zowie FK2, which is, of course, an esports favorite out there uh, by BenQ, who also makes incredible monitors. They make the Zowie mouse, and so they don't require drivers. So they, they consider that very limited. Would love to try the Zowie. Uh, the Razer Death Adder Elite uh, is on there. Um, it's got it's considered one of the most impressive mice at the sixteen thousand max DPI capability there. So Razer's on here actually twice. Now they don't officially support Linux either. However, uh, there is the Open Razer project out there. So Razer doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it, but the awesome community in Linux goes out there and creates it so that you can go change all the RGB and do all the settings you want to do with the Razer. Now, before I went to Zowie, 
I used razor mice almost exclusively because they were kind of the best at the time, but because they didn't have, because you didn't try Logitech and I was, (laughs) (laughs) and I was fairly new to Linux. I didn't know about this project or probably how to get to it. So I just was like, well, I want a mouse that I could just program all the hardware on. So that's how I ended up on the Zowie. Uh, and the Corsair M65, which I also own as well, which is a very good mouse. How do you like that mouse compared to the Zowie? The Zowie is the best uh, mouse I've ever used. Uh, so would I've, you would you go back now that you know about the Open Razor project? Uh, the Zowie is the best mouse I've ever used. I probably I've never used a mouse I think that is more precise, and mm. um, wherever I want to put my characters when I'm playing games or I want to put my mouse or it wherever I want to put it, it puts it there. And so you kick the ass at Tux card. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's probably one of the greatest mice ever made as far as waiting, comfort and everything else. Now this is very particular to me because I'm left-handed. So a lot Hmm. of the mice out there do not work for me because they're obviously curved. And because of that, I have to have a mouse like a Zowie that is, doesn't have that curvature in there or try to conform to your hand. So you guys, if you're right-handed, may not have that same experience as me because the mice are more built for uh, your hand structure and use. Well, I would love to try the Zowie. Uh, actually, the Corsair M65 was one I was looking at before I stuck with Logitech. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I just don't understand how Logitech is not at least honorably mentioned for being a great gaming mice. I mean, you looked up an article to research this. Tell us about that article. Well, I looked up all the pro esports gamers, the top 13 esports gamers out there. And in the article, they do, because I was actually trying to prove a point to Rocco. (laughs) And unfortunately, it didn't work out so well. That's how it always starts. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to prove a point to Rocco. So I looked up the top esport gamers and what mouse they use. And of course, the Zowie FK2 was on there, I think, four times. But the Logitech mice were on there three or four times as well. And the Razer mice were on there. So I guess we all win, Rocco. One big happy family mm-hmm. out there. But you're correct. The Logitech does deserve a place on there. And they do make great mice. But there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. Well, if I ever buy a Zowie, I will tell you the difference. Because obviously you couldn't tell me the difference between the two or which one is better because you don't even use Logitech. Well, see, once you commit to the m- money that a Zowie costs... You're going to love it no matter what, because you kind of have to commit at that point and be like, yes, it's the greatest mouse. I just spent $150 for it. Trust me. It's the greatest mouse. So I just found it. I just found it for 78. It'll be the, it'll be a long time before I get to try it. Let me tell you. Well, I have a Logitech where my cable's dying. So maybe I'll go buy a Zowie going from Logitech to a, we're going to destroy those bots and see us go from this. Right. (laughs) So. That's it. That's all the news that we have. Dustin, it has been awesome having you in here once again doing the news uh, with us and helping add some uh, nice insight into all the things going on with Ubuntu Budgie out there. So thank you for all of your work and continuing to support the community and continuing to support our show. It's always awesome having you on. Well, thank you very much for having me on here. I appreciate it. Uh, One last comment from the um, patron gallery. So, Mm -hmm. um, it was about, oh, here it is. Paul said XFCE isn't there on that article because whoever wrote it hasn't used peppermint. (laughs) 
That's <laughs> very, very true. So it's been awesome having our patrons as well as our new producer, Zeb, there with us, helping to field the questions and talk with the patrons, and they get to hear this fiasco live. Yep. That's crazy. <laughs> Thank you, Zeb, for helping us out. Thank you to all the patrons. We appreciate it. Yep. Dustin, appreciate you being with us. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us, for watching, listening, whatever you're listening on or watching on. Thank you. Have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Why are all of our patrons canceling their... (laughs) (laughs) Why is everyone canceling? It's all good. It's the magic of editing. Uh, I mean, all the patrons will know, but I mean... They're going to be like, never invite that guy back. Never. Ever. (laughs) You know what the patrons just thought at the end of the show is? Holy crap, poor Rocco must spend... 16 years editing each episode. Martin says uh, chargebacks incoming. (laughs) (laughs) He's not even canceling. He wants his money back.